Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for today, from the Holy Gospel, these words. Therefore, our Lord Jesus says, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. A wealthy woman who was a chronic worrier had a cheerful maid who seemed absolutely content and secure in everything that she had. And so content, in fact, was she, and so cheerful was she, that one day the worrisome mistress questioned her overly plump and cheerful, delightful maid about the sense of security that she had. She said to her, how can you be so calm, so at peace all of the time? Don't you ever worry about things? For example, she said to her maid, how much money do you have in your bank account, in your savings account? And the maid said, well, I don't really have much there at all, ma'am, but I get along just fine with what I do have. But the mistress said, but, but what happens if you get sick? Suppose you get sick. Or suppose you were in a disabling accident. Or suppose that you get mugged or that you get robbed on the bus when you're coming here to work in the morning, you're going home at night. Or suppose that my husband's business would collapse and all of our investments would fail and we had to let you go. Just suppose that one of these things happened, just one of these things happened. Doesn't that disturb you? Doesn't it worry you? Doesn't it make you anxious at all? And the maid smiled and in a tone that was respectful but still to the point she said suppose 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 you just do too much supposing ma'am there's no supposing in my bible my bible says surely surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and then in a burst of exuberant exhortation the maid held the mistress by both of her hands and she looked her squarely in the eye and she said, you see, ma'am, that's your trouble. You're doing far too much supposing and far too little reposing. And isn't that true? You're doing far too much supposing, wondering, worrying, anxiety and far too little reposing, far too little resting, secure in the promises of God. The dilemma of the wealthier woman is a dilemma that's common to us all because very few of us would fit in the category of that maid and probably she wasn't consistently there herself, undoubtedly she wasn't, consistently being confident that all was well. We're like that. We too worry. We're anxious about this and we're anxious about that. Suppose that the company that I work for goes under and suddenly I find myself unemployed and without a job. Suppose that our financial reserves don't hold out if that happens for more than a couple of months. Suppose that the problems of my child or the problems of my teenager don't get any better and instead they get worse. Suppose that the unresolved irritants that are there in our marriage remain unresolved and threaten to separate us. Suppose that the changing mole on my skin turns to melanoma. Or suppose that the cancer that I thought we had conquered 
returns again. Suppose that my high blood pressure goes higher and my cholesterol count won't go lower. Suppose that one thing or the other happens. Suppose that what we planned with all the plans that we made for ourselves as husband and wife or parents and children just don't materialize because life runs out on us. Suppose that we won't be able to cope with all of these different things that come into our lives when they happen. Suppose. You've been there, haven't you? So have I. Too much sinful supposing on our parts. Too little reposing in the promises of God. Resting in those promises that he makes to us that we hear in today's gospel reading. Look at the text for today. Isn't that in essence what our Lord Jesus is teaching the multitudes? You know, he gathered them together and they'd come together to sit down and to listen to him teach them. And what does he say to them? He says, be not anxious. In our vernacular, don't worry. Be not anxious, he says. Indeed, he repeats it three times in the gospel reading for today. In verse 25, be not anxious, he says, about your life. In verse 31, be not anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Verse 34, be not anxious about tomorrow. He covers all the bases and he says, don't worry, be not anxious. The Greek word is interesting there for anxious. Maranoa being so concerned about things, and then it implies a certain sense of losing sleep. It's actually there in the Greek, Greek sense, the Greek word, that it's a sense of being so anxious about something that you lose sleep over it. You've been there too? A lot of people are in our day, obviously. Just a few days ago I received a monthly periodical that comes to our home from the health insurance company, and there's a full-page article on the whole problem that we have in our society of sleep deprivation. Not long ago I read an interesting article entitled Everything You Wanted to Know About Sleep Deprivation But Are Too Tired to Ask. It has an extensive cross-references to dozens and dozens of articles that you can log on to to find about the, the sleep disorders that are so troubling us in our society. There are not all concerned so excessively about things that it interrupts our sleep patterns as well. It robs us of our repose. And note well that all of this is sinful excessiveness too. It's not something that we can excuse ourselves of because everybody else does it or has the problem, not at all. It's excessiveness that our Lord is speaking of. It's not that he's saying to us, don't care about anything, don't be concerned about anything. That's, that's not what he's saying. Care and concern aren't sinful in themselves. To the contrary, they're often the very motivating push and the shove that's behind the compassion that we show for one another and the care that we give one another in life. And that's why commenting on this very verse about anxiety, Luther says something interesting. He writes, every office and station in life involves taking on certain concerns. So Luther says we should be concerned about some things, especially for those, he says, who are in charge of other people. And so St. Paul says, for example, about the spiritual offices in Christendom, Luther says, he who rules, let him be careful, concerned about ruling, about how he's going to do it. In the same sense, he says, ahead of a household, 
has to be concerned about whether his children are being brought up properly and whether those employed by him are all doing their duty. Be concerned there. Similarly, he says in the concern about pastors or ministers, it's their concern to carry out their preaching and to administer the sacraments properly and to comfort the sorrowing and the sick and to denounce the wicked. That must be a pastoral concern. For he has, Luther says, the command to give attention to souls and to guide them. And so also, he says, the princess and others in government have to be concerned about the proper administration in the secular realm. And then he goes on to say, in essence, so you see, our Lord says, be not anxious. He's not saying don't be concerned in the proper order that you have in life, in your vocation, whatever it is, as parent, pastor, whatever it might be. When our Lord says, be not anxious, he's not talking then about these official concerns of parents or pastors or princes or police, namely the legitimate concerns that we have for the welfare of those that he has placed in our charge. For that, we should be concerned. What he's talking about when he says, do not be anxious, is that lack of confidence that we would have in his God's administration of our lives, that personal anxiety that we have that God isn't doing a very good job of administering our affairs. Being sinfully troubled is another word you could use. Troubled like the disciples were, for example, on the night before his crucifixion, the night when he was betrayed. What does the scripture say about the disciples? It says they were troubled. They were troubled at the thought that he would, he said, soon be leaving them. Troubled that he said that they couldn't come along with them where he was going. Troubled that he had said that one of them was going to betray him. And they're troubled about these things. Troubled, another interesting word in the Greek, from the word terazzo. Similar to anxious, but it's a bit stronger than anxious. It carries the notion of being visibly disturbed and visibly agitated because you're concerned about this or that, emotionally stirred up inside to the point of being obvious on the outside, troubled, we say. And you know something? Not even terrazzo or being troubled is all wrong. It depends again upon the circumstances. It's not always sinful. Indeed, that very word terrazzo, troubled, is used of our Lord Jesus on different occasions where he was troubled and yet obviously he was without sin. First, for example, when he came to that small town in the Gospels, the town of Bethany, where he finds his friends grieving the sisters of Lazarus because, remember, Lazarus had died. And it says that Jesus was tarazzo, Jesus was troubled. Jesus was agitated. He was disturbed and upset. Not at their sadness, not at their grief, but he was upset and agitated at the abnormality of death. At death because of sin, what death could do to bring such sorrow to the lives of people that he loves so much. He was troubled at what death does to us. And he was troubled again when during the days immediately before his crucifixion, he stood in Jerusalem and contemplating his own death 
his own crucifixion for the sins of mankind, he said, now my soul has become terrazzo. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, he says, it's for this purpose. It's for this very purpose that I have come into this world. Troubled. Rightly troubled as in his very soul the death shadow begins to, to envelop all of him. And his wasn't a death like ours, you know. Not a death like that of the Christian for whom the terrors of death have been removed. And we can say that of ourselves. We don't always believe it. But the terrors of death have been removed for us. Why? Because we know what Christ has done. He's canceled out sin and all of its debt. Because of the saving work of Christ, we don't have to fear physical death anymore. Because we know that when we physically die, our souls aren't dying. We saw a death of a soul taking place this morning in holy baptism, if you will. Our souls don't die when our bodies do. Our sinful souls died at the font. At the font of baptism. At any font, whenever and wherever we are baptized into the death of Jesus Christ, his death becomes ours. So when it comes to physically now walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because our souls have already been through it. We live eternally from the day of that font onward because of what Christ has done. We've been baptized into the death and into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death is ours. His resurrection is already ours from that point on through baptism like that of little Isaac Joseph last Sunday or like that of little Hasset Milena this morning, our souls have been through the death thing. They're not going to die anymore. And our bodies, well, they're just dragging behind. They're going to go through it too. But they're going to be raised in their own day. The day of the resurrection of all flesh at time's end, even as already the soul has been raised through baptism into Christ's death and resurrection to live eternally. And that's all because Christ's soul became troubled for us. Troubled in the greatest sense of the word because he was fully aware of all that his death was going to do to him. We don't have to fear it when we walk through that valley. But he knew exactly all that his soul was going to have to go through for us in our stead. The dreaded curse that it had to endure the inconceivable dread of such a death overcame his soul and all that was human within him recoiled from the rending ordeal of it all and scripture says his soul was troubled it was visibly agitated at the thought of what hell he would have to endure so that you wouldn't troubled as it was again only hours before his crucifixion when he looked compassionately upon Judas, remember, who was about to betray him. And St. John tells us that again, Jesus became terrazzo. Jesus became troubled in spirit, disturbed, internally agitated so that it showed itself externally on his face. Agitated at the thought of what was about to occur to Judas. Judas, who would give himself wholly over to Satan and be the betrayer of heaven's Lord and himself then become the son of hell, perdition's child, 
troubled at seeing one precious soul lost forever. And so you see, there can be indeed a right time and right circumstances under which one might even be troubled and one might be agitated, even as our Lord was when he saw what sin and what death were doing to people. But let's face it, more often than not, more often than it surely should be our trouble and our agitation in life, or over the disturbances of everyday life as we experience them. And they don't come from selfless thoughts as did his, from noble thoughts or were his. No, more often they come from simply being anxious, from being worried, from having a supposing heart, from having a heart given to saying at every unexpected turn of events, suppose this happens, suppose that happens, suppose God doesn't care doesn't do what we expect him to do, what will I do then? What will become of me? Anxiety, our troubles so often having come from worrying rather than having a believing heart, supposing rather than reposing in the promises of God. And so what does Jesus do? Does he leave us because of that? Well, did he leave the disciples to themselves when they expressed their misgivings about his plans or Concerns or worries about what would happen to them, supposing this, supposing that, if Jesus died the death that he was talking about dying, did he leave them because of their anxieties? No, he didn't. He didn't forsake them. Their faulty suppositions, you see, could not change his disposition toward them. And that's true of you too. Your faulty suppositions supposing, cannot change his disposition toward you. Because it's the unalterable grace of God that here is in effect. It required Jesus to position himself upon the cross there to pay for the sinful propositions and suppositions of men that we so often entertain about as God's lack of care or the deeds of opposition even that we have as we act against him even in our own lives. That's why when dealing with supposing hearts, Jesus through his Holy Spirit works to change them into reposing hearts. He directs us away first of all from ourselves onto him. What does he say in the words for today's text? He says, be not anxious, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things will be added on to you as well. You see, you, you can't think about the kingdom without thinking about the king. And we Christians can't think about any kind of righteousness without thinking of the Lord Jesus, who scripture says is our righteousness because it's in him that we're righteous. Worried, anxious, troubled, sinfully so, then look away from yourself. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look to him. Look at your sin-bearing Savior and consider what the apostle who wrote today's epistle said toward the end of that epistle. He said, what shall we say of these things? What shall we say about our worry and about our anxiety and about our trouble and our sin? If God is for us, who is against us? Come on, stand up, he says, in essence, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, famine, what are we going to eat, nakedness, what are we going to wear, the very things that tie in with Matthew chapter 6 in our gospel for today, the sword, who is against us? Stand up.
and we'll stand up too and we'll be unafraid and we'll be ready to confess those unforgettably mighty words, he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us everything that we need? That's his promise. He'll give you all that you need. All these other things will be added onto you as well. Be not anxious, therefore. See how the supposing heart becomes a reposing heart? It only happens to the heart where Christ dwells. The heart that knows that its ultimate repose is realized not here in this earth, but the heart that knows by faith that its ultimate repose is the repose of heaven. In his book entitled, Give Your Life a Lift, Dr. Herman Gockel, who was a member of this congregation until the, the day that he died, wrote an interesting devotion about this very thing of which we speak. He wrote about the heart that knows its ultimate repose is in heaven. And here's what he said. He said, speaking of a trip that he had to make from Los Angeles from the airport there to St. Louis, he said, our sleek silver jet had just thundered down the runway of the Los Angeles airport and gracefully had headed out over the Pacific Ocean and made its half-circle turn and then it headed eastward across the continent below, worn and weary. After six hectic weeks in the movie capital, we sat back in our seat and as is our custom at the start of each day, he said, we breathed a silent prayer. And I prayed, he said, Lord, bring me safely home. And then looking into the infinity of blue beyond our window, I added quickly, bring me safely home, if not here, then there. That was all I prayed, he says, but I somehow the echo of that brief petition stayed with me every moment of the flight, and the assurance that our Heavenly Father would answer it according to His gracious will rested upon me as a heavenly benediction. And as we crossed soaring mountains and verdant valleys and sun-parched prairies at almost the speed of sound, Lord, bring me safely home, if not here, then there. Isn't this, he writes, in its simplest terms, the prayer of every believer in Christ as he ventures forth on the unknown path of each new day after the toil and the sweat and the noise and the turmoil of each of life's little days is over. He knows that the Lord will bring him safely home, home to the company of loved ones, either here or there. And he knows this not because of the shallow assurance of some sentimentality and some sentimental greeting card. He knows it because he bears in his heart the spirit-wrought conviction that the Lord of heaven has already spoken it in his word. The God of the trackless universe through the redeeming work of his beloved Son has assured him of a home that is open, a home that is waiting there. For it was his divine Son who said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there you may be also. And thus to Christian pilgrims, Gockle says, who have caught that heavenly vision, his earthly dwelling can never be more than his home away from home. His permanent and his abiding dwelling place is now and always will be the mansion of his father, the waiting the arrival of every son 
and every daughter. And so at the dawn of each new day, as we set our feet on the untrod path before us, we can pray with quiet confidence, Lord, bring me safely home. If not here, then there. There through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And dear friends, I imagine there are more than a few brothers and sisters in Christ wearing the uniform of our nation and bearing its flag in distant and dangerous places that will this very day somewhere pray that same prayer even as those who gave their lives in distant places for the sake of our civil freedoms have over the times past as we think on them in this Memorial Day weekend. I'm sure there are many of those Christian brothers and sisters there at that time in some place said, Lord, bring me safely home. If not here, then there. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord. In his name, amen.